Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Recorded Friday, December the 11th, this is the Western Devs Podcast. In this week's episode, the devs discuss women in technology. Boy, look here, we got something for you. This week on the Western Devs podcast, we are talking about women in technology. And in fact, we're talking about barriers for women. And we recently came across an article that basically started out like this. If you think women in tech is just a pipeline problem, you haven't been paying attention. According to the Harvard Business Review, 41% of women working in tech eventually end up leaving the field compared to just 17% of men. Now, the article goes on to say that in one study, members of a university faculty were sent CVs for an applicant, randomly assigned male or female name, and both men and women were significantly significantly more likely to hire a male applicant than a female applicant with an identical record. There's a lot of things going on with women in tech, and I imagine women um, across multiple industries. But today, it's my privilege to welcome to the conversation, Rachel Thomas. Uh, Rachel, thank you for joining us. Why don't you just give us a 30-second blurb on yourself before we get started on today's podcast? Sure. Um, Yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, My background is in math and computer science. I have a PhD in math, um, and I've worked as a quant and a a back-end developer and a data scientist. And I now um, teach women to be software developers at an all-women coding school called Hackbright Academy. That's awesome. And a recent mom as well. Yeah, I have a three-month-old. We also have on the call today Peter, Kyle, Wendy, Jason, Don, Dave, Lori, and myself, all of Western Devs. You can find out more about us at westerndevs.com. So I, I do want to uh, just kind of start, you know, this, is, uh, this isn't a conversation exclusively about the, uh, the article in question, but uh, when, uh, what, when did you decide that this was an article that you felt kind of needed to be uh, written in? When, when, did you, when did you decide that having your voice in the conversation was important, Rachel? Um, I, I guess it was a mix of hearing some, um, some remarks by um, someone who has a company that's doing pretty well about his company being a perfect meritocracy and he being completely gender blind. Um, And so I kind of wanted to write something to debunk those ideas. Um, And I've kind of been collecting links to studies that I found interesting and that I wish more people knew about. Um, So that was a big part of it. And then also, um, and I definitely think there are issues with the the pipeline for, for women and people of color in tech, but I think that that kind of gets disproportionate attention in discussing diversity, since it's a way, I think, for a lot of companies to deflect having to actually look at their own cultures to kind of say, oh, it's just the education system. Okay, so we, you know, uh, there, I'm going to start talking about we and you. We're uh, lucky here today to have uh, Rachel, Wendy, and Lori on the call. Um, I think if we try and sit around as men and solve the problem, you know, in quotes, air quotes there about barriers in women. It's, it's kind of going to be like us starting a support group for, for pregnancy or, or breastfeeding or something. I don't, I don't think we're going to be able to solve this on our own is what I'm saying. Um, what, what are the kinds of things that, you know, I I think what we want to kind of uncover today are the kinds of things that we can be doing more concretely um, to address this, uh, let's let's work towards that. But but maybe let's start back uh, at the beginning. And 
while you while your article very clearly makes a case that it's not part of the pipeline problem, I think that there's you know there's probably things that we've seen that are part of the pipeline that are contributing to this. Um, does anybody want to join in with any experience they've had with something that they've seen in the pipeline? Maybe for the benefit of the listeners, we could detail a bit about the pipeline. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think you know the pipeline starts. I think early in anyone's life. I mean, it's the things you're exposed to as a child through the education system, um, through college, of course. Uh, there's environmental factors, there's workplace factors, those kinds of things. Um, what, uh, maybe I'll uh, toss to someone else here, what kinds of things are, what kinds of things should the pipeline include if we're, if we're talking about that? I mean, I guess one, uh, one relevant fact is that in the 80s, I think it was around 36% of computer science majors were women, um, kind of at their peak. And now it's down to, I think, 18%. So there's actually been this decline in women majoring in computer science. So I want to talk about the, um, the statistic about 40% of women leaving tech. Is, was there a, um, a time period in which they're leaving? Is that uh, leaving within five years, within 10 years? I believe it's within 10 years. Um, and then I would need to look it up, but I've also kind of read about there being a sharp drop off around age 35. Um, I just want to kind of go back to the pipeline to answer James's question, because what I've witnessed, because I have a daughter who's now in university, and what I witnessed with her as she was um, going through uh, the various, you know, programs in school and even the extracurriculars that I would sign her up for. Uh, we live in um, Kitchener-Waterloo, so I made a point to put them in summer camps, both my kids, my son and my daughter, in summer camps that had uh, different programs. And one of the one, uh, programs there was for like teaching them how to, you know, uh, develop websites and things like that, and and get familiar with programming. Um, and she really, really loved it at that time. And then by the time she got to high school, she started taking computer um, science courses there. You know, the intro to computers and then the programming. Um, she really liked it until she had a teacher and it was just one teacher because she was the only girl in the class who just always told her she was doing everything wrong. And it was really frustrating because to me, I'm, you know, I'm, I see the interest in the, in girls and I see them, you know, in, involved in these programs now, which we didn't have when we were younger. And then to know that they can get into high school and there can be that still that stigma of, it's boys against girls and that she doesn't know what she's doing and, and kind of these teachers that are feeding that uh, stereotype of, you know, you're just not good at it, so don't bother, which was frustrating too because I was always helping her with her homework and the teacher had a very specific way to address a problem. And so if she didn't use the exact lines of code that he had in his answer sheet, which because that's all he clearly knew, well, then it was completely wrong. And, you know, she would she would talk back and say, hey, my mom does this for a living and she's helped me through this. And there's more than one way to solve a problem. And this is the way we've done it. And then he was like, I don't care. You didn't you didn't follow the sheet and you didn't follow what I, the problem the way that I would address the problem. So you're not getting full marks. And it, those are the things that discouraged her. And at that point, she just pretty much was she kind of you just see her check out of it. You know, she's like she was just done. She's like, I don't even want to bother. And she did see what I've gone through in the last 18 years. Like she saw the troubles and the struggles I had in the workplace. You know, I'd come home stressed out and upset. And and she's like, I just don't even want that. So because she, she started, as soon as she experienced that, she was like, I know what's ahead and I don't even want to bother. And then she just gave up. And she she's doing uh, 
Bachelor of Arts Psychology now uh, because she's more intrigued with that at this point. She's just, even checked out before she's even gotten into the industry. Yeah, she, she should. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So to, to, to answer your point, I mean, there are there are girls in the pipeline. There are a lot of programs out there right now, and I see a lot of involvement. Um, but my concern is if they're dropping off before they even get to post-secondary, then there's a problem in the high schools with the teachers and the training there. And, um, the, and there's, there, there are some that are being discouraged and, you know, it's, uh, it's still a problem. I think, you know, I had an, a, an ex experience with that as well, where, uh, actually the, you know, I volunteer in, in the, uh, local elementary school and junior high and where we actually had a case where we were doing the hour of code and we had two teachers in the classroom helping out. And there was a male student who had a problem. He was, uh, he asked a male teacher for help and that teacher deferred the student to me immediately. Of course, let's, let's get Mr. Chambers over here and figure, figure this out for you. And then I actually saw another instance where um, uh, in, that, in that same environment where a, a female student asked for help to uh, the, by chance, the female teacher. And the comment was actually, that's okay, dear. This isn't for all of us. And so I, I think oh. that, you know, um, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, this is, this is something that's not even in your article, Rachel, you, you pointed out several times that even, you know, there's those studies that show even when given the same set of data to men and and women in HR who are doing the hiring, there's a preference given to men over women. And so there's something that's even below um, our record. Like, you know, it's it's not just a gender-based bias. I think it, it stretches across genders. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. We've got this problem in our industry, but it's really a human problem that we have to deal with. And we have to sort of expand it out into the into those areas. Like, I mean, there's just guys that are just that kind of guy and they just don't deal with women in a, in a really you know, realistic way, given 2015. And they're in our industry. And I mean, they're in other industries too, but we need to deal with these types of things as a whole, not just in our industry too. Well, it does seem kind of prevalent in, in the industry. And in, since we are in the IT industry, we do have to scope it. It's not like we're going to go and, and save the world. We have to, I think, bring off, uh, break off small chunks to deal with it. Um, but we talked about this a little bit uh, on our Slack channel and the comment was like, how can we tell between somebody who is just a jerk or somebody who's got kind of deep seated racist gender biased issues? Um, but I think the, the consensus was it doesn't really matter um, if they're just a mean person in general to, to men or women. It's just, it, I don't think it matters. It's uh, relevant um, to try to trivialize those kind of issues. Yeah, <clears throat> and I know uh, that's a great point. I know me and me and Lori have talked about this in the Slack channel a little bit. One thing that I, I struggle with when I hear a lot of the the issues and the barriers women face, and I really like the stats in Rachel's article, you know, because Lori will give me some anecdotes, right? Where where such and such boss, you know, was 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 a big dick or. Or or pastor passed some a woman over for this promotion or that thing or that university teacher right that was treating that woman uh, or your 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 daughter unfairly. And a challenge I have is when I hear those, I'm like, people are dicks out there. Men get treated unfairly a lot a lot too, right? There's, sometimes it's not just women. Everybody has a has a dick boss, and, it's, and I struggle to, to to understand whether this is bias against women or just people being dicks in general. 
And I, that's why I really like the stats in Rachel's article. Just, I mean, you make it clear that that it really is a gender bias problem. The one that really stood out to me was um, in performance reviews, um, where where men may, may be uh, more positive personality traits. They're they're ambitious and they're go getters, and the the women are just uh, I can't remember what it was, but very very negative um, uh, uh, view on kind of the same personality traits. That's an overgeneralization too, though. I mean, some women are go getters and. and- there's a lot of people who call them a specific name, which is completely wrong. But I mean, there might be averages towards women being a certain personality and men being a, per- a certain personality. But those are still generalizations, and we shouldn't be using those as means to separate men and women in any industry. No, yeah, I don't think I don't think Dylan was saying that. I think I think he was just um, appreciative of the st- statistics that Rachel posted to show that you know this is happening across the board. I mean, it's not a one-off issue. It's not just one bad boss. It's uh, industry-wide and it's it's happening so often and so much and still to this day. And uh, that's a big problem. So yeah, I can give my stories and I can go off for hours and hours with stories. And I think that day that I was, we were on the Slack channel going back and forth about it. I think I actually logged off because I was like, I need a drink because um, it was <laughs> it was just too much. But I think I think I just I, I had to force myself to stop telling the stories because that's not what I wanted to focus on. But I just I wanted to show that those are the kinds of things that women are experiencing. And even though you may not see them or you may perceive it, it's taken in, in a different context. And that's, that's just how that guy would be to everybody or woman like um, it's not. But more often than not, if men don't see gender bias in the workplace, um, it's because a lot of the times, especially with the things that I've had happen, I've had most of these conversations and exchanges. It's you know in the background, it's email, it's closed door meetings, it's performance reviews, and so no one else sees it or hears it, and no one talks about it. And then I'm just a very open person, and I I just tell everybody about it because I th- I know it's wrong and I know it's an injustice, and so um, I'm not afraid to speak my my viewpoint on it, but. I think in a lot of cases, women are embarrassed um, or feel attacked or humiliated or, or feel like they that maybe those things were justified. And so they don't say anything. They just leave. And I've seen a lot of women leave. That's just a, a pattern. Women, women do in general, I think, that we, we don't necessarily speak up for ourselves. We'll just bail eventually when it gets too, the resent gets too high. But they shouldn't feel the need to, ha- they have to do that. To be fair as well, I've had... I've had bad interactions with women in a position of power as well. They were no better than than male um, than their male counterparts in that, that situation, um, and that that's what that to me was surprising and took me aback when when it did happen. Um, so it's I mean gender bias. We all we all have um, gender bias, whether we realize it or not. We just do, and some are more extreme than others, and some are you know. But we all have those thoughts, and it's just the way we grew up, and we don't even realize it. Yeah, I know. I was talking to a friend last night, and I was telling him I was going to do this podcast, right? And my buddy, he his family has a family business, a printing press business, and the dad used to run it. And now his sister runs it, and he, I was telling him we're going to have this discussion today, and he's telling me that you know when his dad ran it, and he would come in there to the factory floor, and you know say we need to do this right now, kind of be very demanding. And, and, you know, people did it because he's a tough boss. And they, when he asked for something, you better do it. 
And then his sister took over. And when his sister comes out and does the same thing, the perception is very different. It's not, oh, geez, you know, Jim's in here. We got to do what he says. It's, oh, Kelly, that bitch always coming in here and asking for stuff, right? A very different perception, man versus woman. I think Lori um, had a good point earlier um, that it can be just very emotionally draining to share, um, kind of share these experiences and stories. And it's hard because I think, um, and I've kind of stopped, and that's why I'm uh, kind of really trying to focus on statistics in my last article, because I think I just find it painful to share, you know, what was a painful experience and then have to, um, you know, feel like I'm having to justify it and have it seen as an anecdote or like just a one-off case. Um, And I still think there's a lot of value uh, for women that have publicly shared their stories, but I think it can also uh, be emotionally draining to do so and to have to kind of justify I, and I think too that you know that that's a really good point about the anecdotal side of things because it's so easy to dismiss and, and maybe this is part of the the equation here is that we can't just say okay these are the numbers all men are like this or sixty percent of women are like that or most companies do this I don't think we can just go off of the numbers and do that and at the same time it's it's I've I've seen that it's very easy for people to dismiss things if if it's just limited to anecdotal kind of evidence, even if that anecdotal evidence is really strong in that person's experience. So we can't dismiss those things. And I think it's important to share them, but I fully agree. I mean, I've been involved in an HR issue as a man with other men, and that was a draining exercise. And it takes a, an amount of confidence to step up and do that and, and bring those things into light. Uh, you know, it's obviously not going to be the same kind of experience that that women will have, that men will have in those environments. But um, I, I think it's it's good to see that there's, I think it makes it easier, more accessible to start addressing this because there is the anecdotal evidence, but there's the statistics to back it as well. Don, you wanted to add something here as well. Yeah, I was going to ask a, the question. Um, I think Lori and Rachel both either directly said or hinted on the fact that a lot of these things happen uh, behind closed doors um, where you know, myself as a, say, a co-worker of Lori's wouldn't necessarily see them uh, directly. I might hear them anecdotally from her after the fact. So as co-workers of women in technology, how are we to identify that this is happening? And then as a follow-up, what can we do if we're not directly involved? I think the best thing you can do is maybe just take, you know, a female co-worker out for coffee or, you know, have a, have, a, have a day where you guys go out for lunch so you can speak fr- frankly out of the office and just ask her, you know, how, how is your experience at this company? You know, what are you finding? What do you think would do better? And you'll be surprised when she's in an environment where she feels like she can just talk frankly, the things that can be said, you know. But then again, it depends on the woman. There may be a woman that doesn't. Myself, I'm not going to lie. I talk about it regardless. You don't have to take me out for coffee. If we work together and I had a bad experience and, you know, with my manager and I felt it was an, an injustice, you know, yeah, I'd come back to my desk and be like, I cannot believe he just said that to me. And if it was something really, really, um, you know, insulting and I would say it to his face too. It's not like I would just, you know, keep my head down and not say anything. I've, I've, I've said, you know, stood my ground a lot of the times and said, you know, what you just said was wrong or what you just said was insulting and uh, inappropriate. And then I'd go back and I'd be like, can you believe this guy? And I, I'd make a joke of it, but, and we'd laugh and we'd all have a good laugh. But at the same time, it would add up to the point that I would just go home crying sometimes. Like I'd be in tears by the time I got home uh, because it was just, 
unbearable. Um, and the best thing I could do was make light of it. But there are other women that if you give them a safe environment to speak about, you know, just their thoughts, don't directly ask them just how you feel, how you like it here, you know, how are you feeling? What do you think could be done better? Uh, what what career paths you see for yourself here? Do you see any blockers or anything that's standing in your way? Those kind of questions, well, I guarantee you, will will shed some light on on her experience in that company. Rachel, yourself, I, I'm. You've noted that you're in a, an environment that's an all ladies college now or all ladies training environment, but obviously you you left a more male-dominated work environment, I guess, what would you have liked to have seen or what would have um, been more encouraging for you to stay? Yeah, so a few things uh, going along with what uh, with Laurie said. I do think it can take time to build trust. And so some of it is, you know, showing that you're a trustworthy person. Um, and I think it's helpful to be um, be observant about uh, about gender. And so if you notice, um, if you notice a woman, you know, constantly getting interrupted in a meeting or having um, kind of she suggests an idea, nobody pays attention. If a man suggests it, it's praised. And these are kind of uh, things that many women have reported experiencing, you know, to say, oh, excuse me, you interrupted, you know, just kind of to make a note, um, kind of, I guess, uh, help advocate for the women around you. Also, uh, ditto in hiring decisions. I think that um, a lot of people have written, I mean, the hiring process is very broken for, uh, for most software engineering uh, positions. Um, so I think that there are kind of uh, small things you can do to um, show you're trustworthy as well as, yeah, building relationships and um, kind of building a relationship and friendship with your coworkers where you would be trusted for them to share with you. Wendy, do the re- relational aspects of that ring w- resound with you as well? I think for me, it's evolved over the years as to my experience as a person or a woman in this industry and things being very blatant, like, okay, that's total sexual harassment, and things being more subtle, where I I didn't really know if it was or not. And I think that subtle zone is a little more challenging to perceive for anyone. Um, and also, I think it gets more intense as, at least as I've gotten older. Um, I think because when I was younger, uh, it was just all you know, physical comma. I don't know if you guys remember how you met me, but I think I was hot agilista number two. <laughs> remember that? Number Anyone? one, and I'm guilty of making that. Yeah, so I, and I'm like one in the spirit of, of fun, right? Like for me, um, I don't know if I would have been at DevTeach that year had you know, I had this picture of myself, which got me, a lot of views on my blog. And I wasn't the one who put up that picture. It actually was my daughter's father. And I let it stay up there because I didn't think anyone would go to my blog. And just so I don't know that you can Google and find this image anymore, though I think it's on a book cover someplace in some blog post about what book covers should look like for development. And at the time, I was young. I, I maybe was 25. And it opened a lot of doors for me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be seen as an object, but when I get in the door, people are taking me very seriously because I've got good chops when it comes to TDD and solid and all of that stuff. And that worked for me then, but that doesn't work for a lot of women. I think a lot of women would be pretty horrified at the idea of having, you know, the blogger (laughs) stalking them at the event 
talking about saying God bless you or whatever. I don't even know. I don't know who was one and number two, but it was funny. Oksana and I, who was my coworker at the time, we were at that conference. We laughed. But that's one example of you have women at a conference and there weren't many and we were speaking. And the whole interest in us being there was because we were hot or labeled as such. And I think it worked out well for us because we just rolled with it and had fun with it. But I think as a culture of a whole, it's not a good thing. Uh, but that was a much better conference experience than I had um, a few years before where I was by myself and I wasn't speaking and I was just at a conference. And the only conversation I remember, I, I left early crying because the only conversations I had were with men trying to hit on me and not like hit on me in any kind of smooth way, like hit on me in a like, hey, can we go back to my room now? Like, just walk up to me at the conference and say that multiple times. It was so bizarre. It's like, why do you think it's like, have you ever seen a woman mm. before? Um, men but suck. Mike, that was many. That was that was in 2004. I don't think it's that men suck. I think it's that when you have a industry that's been told stories about who they are over and over again, and those stories don't involve women, people are acting out the stories they've been told. And so developers have been told and I think it's evolved since then because more women are in it and more people are speaking up that that the whole you know a, a woman is there to be hit on at a conference is in my experience has gone down but I'm older now I'm a mom I like to think I'm hot but you know <laughs> I'm not I'm not the 23 year old with the with that blog picture so that's a hard thing I think for women to deal with. For me, I, I used it to my advantage. I, 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 it became my marketing and there's no such thing as bad marketing. Uh, but that didn't, you know, push the women's rights further in technology, right? I'm sure if that, that woman who blogs a lot about feminism and technology and how bad it was, I would have been on her, her crap list back then. <laughs> Um, two points that that uh, reminded me of. Uh, one is I was reading an article the other day that women report being um, over-mentored and under-sponsored. And so um, the women in the study, I think this was Harvard Business Review again, um, were receiving a lot of offers for mentorship. And there were a lot of, um, sounded kind of more like when they're younger, like older men that want to um, mentor and teach them things, but they were receiving much less sponsorship than men. And that was kind of having someone who was really you know, upper level, like bringing you up in meetings, uh, suggesting you for interesting projects or promotions. Um, and so I do think there, this kind of relates to um, age. And I think there's a lot of ageism in tech as well. But I think women in their 20s are treated very differently than women in their 40s. And I think uh, both demographics kind of have their, their set of challenges. Um, you know, and part of it's around the kind of sexualization and um, often sexual harassment of women in their 20s. And then I think women in their 40s, though, um, that's a difficult and and, um, and beyond. Um, that's kind of a difficult place to be as well. Um, there's yeah, more, I think being older um, is way harder in my, like invisibility or. And I think it's harder in general for women to be seen as um, leaders or authoritative or kind of having a lot of uh, wisdom and experience. Back in 2012, I was, it was after I was sick and I was trying to get a job for the first time in a few years. For those who don't know, I, I got cancer. I was very sick when I was younger. Um, and I left development. I came back. And um, since, since then, my, my ability to find jobs have been challenging, not necessarily because of um, 
having that block I find actually is is more of ageism in place and I think when you're a woman ageism plus being a woman makes it even harder to be appealing for certain companies and I wrote this blog post about how I couldn't find a job for a long time and I had a lot of people respond to me saying I had that same exact experience all of these women and I wasn't expecting that at all like I didn't know it was a thing and then I just thought I was I was just having trouble finding a job yeah, I think for for me, I found um, moving into consulting to be a better role for me at this point. And it, and yeah, and I do find a difference with age. I found that in my twenties, I wasn't taken seriously when I was going out for job interviews, and even when I was hired, um, I wasn't really taken very seriously at all. Um, I would, you know, I had that people talking over me, people just dismissing my opinion, people taking my opinion and then rephrasing it as their own and, you know, things like that. In my 30s, I found, um, you know, still it was similar, but because I had more skill, uh, more skills at that point that I'd acquired and more knowledge and I had more of a, a leg to stand on to, to counter a lot of things that were happening, um, there became a lot of friction. And so then it, there was a lot of hostility um, because I just wouldn't allow myself to be treated a certain way. And I think that surprised a lot of people. And then now with be being in my 40s, uh, I've gone into consulting and out of the full-time um, you know, employment role, I find now I'm taken more seriously because I'm coming in as an expert in a certain area. Um, and you know, I work with a great consulting company. Object Sharp is a really wonderful consulting company that's well-respected in, in our area. And they're the ones that go out and find the work and then they send in, you know, the consultants that are the best um, matched for that role. You know, we're, we're a boutique consulting agency. So when we go in, they know that we're the experts and, and they're going to listen to us. And that's wonderful. So this experience I've had at this point in my career, I uh, am enjoying it thoroughly. And I find it's a far different world than what it was when I was working full time in my 20s and 30s. Um, but yeah, the, the scary part is I, I don't know. I haven't experienced ageism yet. And, but I think if, when that happens, I don't, I'm not going to say if, I'm going to say when. It's going to be very scary because there's nothing you can do, right? Like I can't make myself younger. So I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I just want to go back to uh, Don's point though. And he asked what we could do. And I, I don't think that, I think all this stuff that has been brought up has been really about helping us support our peers, Lori and Rachel Wendy, and just being good people. But I don't know that we need them to tell, to put themselves in those awkward situations where they tell us our stories to give us motivation to change our companies, to change our managers. Like, and that's really hard for us to do. It's something that we have to like really take, you know, as an industry and say, managers, you have to look at what we need in the future. You know, we're getting to a place. I just did an hour of code, two episodes or two sessions of hour of code at my kid's school, and it was awesome. You know, I had a grade two class and a grade four class, and I'd have to say that it's 50-50 kids. I didn't count, but I'm pretty sure it's 50-50. And all the girls were super excited, and all the little boys were super excited. And, you know, why are we doing the hour of the code? Because we've identified as our industry that in, I think it's 10 years, there's going to be a million open jobs. So if we just in the way that we operate, the way that we allow ourselves as an industry to continue to operate, sort of cut out by accident or on purpose, but hopefully it's on accident, half of the population of those 
innocent little kids who are excited about this stuff, then we're just doing a disservice to ourselves as an industry. And we really, from the top down, have to really make it a point of encouraging people to achieve in our industry. I, I think you make a really good point with leadership. Uh, to me, it, you know, culture comes from the top. And one of the things, reasons why I think women, because to me, what's the point of the pipeline if women are going to drop off when they're getting really valuable? Because there's not enough senior people to mentor everyone else to create craftsmanship and an art out of what we do. Uh, and so women are dropping off when they get to that point. <laughs> Uh, and so for me that had like I worked at Oxygen Media and Oxygen Media was a woman run company and I had never been in a woman run company before. It was very different. Everyone got four weeks vacation. No one worked more than 40 hours a week. You were encouraged to actually never work more than 40 hours a week. Uh, and it, there were just so many perks that had to do with women specifically because they just you, women are like the nurturers. They're the caretakers. And that energy helped us be super uh, performing team, a very high performing team and working way less than a lot of our counterparts, but creating really great work, both with quality and creativity. And so when you have that feminine energy, and, and I'm not to say that women or men, one's better than the other, it's about balance. And so many of the technology companies, there is no balance. There's just the male energy. Like if you think of a man, he's like, like, I mean, you could think about sexually, like the man is like the sperm, like shooting out and the woman is the wound catching it and like nurturing and creating the baby. But like with, with programming, we're just like crazy sperm getting shot all over the place. And like, sometimes you make a unicorn now. So you get a unicorn someplace, but if you don't have those boundaries, you don't have that. No, you know what you have technical debt and a lot of wasted time. I think Wendy has some great points that, um, Women, women in their 40s and 50s should be so valuable having that experience. And I would just really like to see um, more women at executive levels and companies, um, director levels. And, um, and I think that's something that everyone can kind of work on. Like I read about a program at LinkedIn where they tried to identify women managers who they thought were kind of uh, in a, they called it like a senior pipeline, but like who could be a director a few down, few years down the road or a staff architect or kind of a much higher level positions. Um, and I think it's really important that we start getting more women into upper level positions and kind of think about that part of the pipeline. I, you know, I have, I want to touch on something that you were going uh, back to as well. I think Lori, you, you had mentioned it, Wendy, you mentioned it, and Rachel as well in your article that was there. We, you know, and probably a bit of confession on my side. I was at, uh, I was volunteering at a girls learning code session a while ago and I walked in the door and the first thing I saw was the name tag station, which, you know, for most conferences would be, there'd be a blank name tag and a Sharpie marker. But here there was uh, a variety of stickers, some My Little Pony, some stars and like a little bling things that you could like, like attach on and, and whatnot and decorate your name tag. And I guess part of my gender bias, the first thing I did was, well, geez, this is, are they just reducing this to a little girl's thing? And, and like, I, I'm really kind of guilty there because, you know, if you look at the environment where we work, well, the, you know, the last place that I worked at, for example, there was a, there was a, uh, a games room. There was a, a beer keg in there. There was a, a, a ping pong table or a, a foosball table. Like it was like clearly you know, lots of sports kind of stuff around and, and whatnot, lots of gaming stuff around. It was, it was clearly like a male tech culture. 
I think. And, you know, maybe we need to kind of work towards finding more balance there. Um, there's been a study uh, where they kind of changed the decorations in a computer science classroom for uh, college students. And so having a lot of kind of stereotypical male decorations of, you know, like Star Wars posters and lots of video games um, had a different effect than even just having neutral, um, neutral decorations around. Um, so I think environment is important and definitely really affects us and sends a message. Okay. So you had some concrete things, Rachel, in, in your article, things that were um, kind of explicit about the, the, what we can be doing. The first one you had on there was train managers. Uh, Wendy, Rachel, you've both commented on how uh, that is a really important thing to start at the top and work down. Yeah, but this, the top doesn't happen internally too. If you look at all the startups, the startups are funded by men, most of them. And the thing is to get yes. women-led companies, you need funding. And I want to tell a, a quick story. I was at the Oasis Summit, which is a VC uh, entrepreneur conference in Santa Monica each year. And there was this uh, competition where they had these three entrepreneurs pitch their company. And one of the entrepreneurs was a woman. And in my opinion, she just had a great idea. She had her numbers. She was so well-spoken. It was so awesome. But her idea had to do with bridesmaid dresses. And none of the judges, all men connected with the idea. Like, they're just like, okay, I don't get the idea. And so she ended up not winning the competition. And it to me, it was just like a huge light bulb went off in my head. Like, oh my God, that woman has such a great idea. And she just, you know, was poo-pooed by these people, even though she was obviously brilliant because they've never been a bridesmaid. They just don't get it. And so until we have more women investing in companies or more men asking their wives who they should invest in, um, we're just going to have this big gap when it comes to women-led companies. Yeah, that's a great point. And to me, that's where the power is. You know, we're not going to make real changes until we have more companies like Oxygen, which is a woman-led company. And who is that funded? Like it was Oprah and Jerry Laybourne. You know, those are two big players. But the vast majority of us aren't. We're not. We're not on TV. We didn't like make Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. We're, we're just regular developers and the regular developing men tend to get a better audience when it comes to raising capital than women. Not because women aren't valued, but because their ideas are difficult to connect with if, they're, if you're not a woman. Rachel, you'd also touched in the article on not relying on self-nominations or self-evaluations. Why is that important? Um, I think women and men are social socialized very differently and how it's acceptable to show confidence. Um, and I think that uh, girls get a lot of messages growing up that it's not okay to be too confident. And that is perceived negatively when women are, um, you know, they've done studies where women read the same script as a man and the man is seen as negotiating well, and the woman's seen as kind of unlikable or too aggressive. And so it's, uh, I think can be very tricky for women to show an acceptable level of confidence. And so this is, uh, yeah, really dangerous when you have self promotion or um, self nomination for promotions. If you kind of rely on people um, uh, volunteering for the most exciting projects at your workplace, um, those things can really kind of bias towards men. I mean, even the kind of how salaries are traditionally negotiated, um, there's a definite definite bias towards men because even when women negotiate uh, using the same script as a man, they're perceived very differently. Yeah, and it, also women, where you want to get a good salary for me, ask my best friend to negotiate for me. 
because women tend to be the best fighters for the people around them. Like don't mess with the mama bear. And when it comes to themselves, women tend to uh, not put themselves last, but it's just not necessarily in our nature to be our salesperson. And the whole negotiation structure works around selling yourself. And so that that doesn't work well for women. You have to like train a woman to be able to have those conversations and be seen as a likable person. I also think that if companies are really serious about getting women in the door, then they need to make some serious changes about how they um, hire and their salary um, scales for whatever level that they're hiring at. They need to set a base, you know, a minimum and a maximum, and it can't be a big range. It can't be something that if, if you know, I'm a senior software architect and someone else is a senior software architect, it can't be like a $20,000 gap in that scale. It has to be something that is, you know, at this, at this, you know, role, you're going to get this maybe with a varying degree of like a few thousand dollars. Um, and then, you know, this much vacation time and then this much, and then a percentage of a bonus. Because right now, a lot in the, a lot of the big organizations, they have these scales, but there's like 20, $30,000 differences between pay scales. And guess what? The women are on the lower end of the scale and the men are on the higher end of the scale. Yes. Um, so if, com- if, if, if companies are really serious, they need to fix that. They need to fix their job postings because their job postings are still geared towards getting rock star developers, ninjas, you know, and these male, dom- these, these male, uh, I don't know, I've focused or centric yeah. uh, postings. Or, or even the filters they put on, like ha- put your GitHub account on and your open source projects and do this programming project. And, you know, a lot of women, especially as we get older, we're parents. And so you're asking us to do these, like, we don't necessarily have the time to do that. It doesn't mean we're not awesome. It doesn't mean we're not going to be super great when we're coding, but not coding in our spare time doesn't mean, like, that can't be a good filter if you want to include women. Yeah. Or rather, I, agree. I think and I screwed up my, my neck. It's not a healthy filter to start but. with. You, you know how many companies I've, I've gone to work for because they boasted, um, you know, we have a flexible work environment, you know, it's great for our families. And then you go in there and you think that there's going to be a flexible work environment. They, they boast about working from home. And then they turn around, they're like, no, that's just a privilege. You have to earn it. And, you know, um, that is frustrating in and of itself. If you're going to talk about having a flexible work environment and you want women or even, wor- you know, working families like men and women that have children. Yeah. When you say you have a flexible working environment and it's and work from home is a- available, don't leave it to the discretion of the manager. And because more times than not, the women are going to be told they can't work from home and the men are, they can work from home on any given day for any given reason. Um, and it's frustrating. Or it know? doesn't help make, if you make, can work from home, but you're working 12 hour days too. <laughs> yes. It's, it's just, those are the things that a company can change. And if you're working at a company and you see these are problems that are outstanding, raise them as points. I mean, if you really want to make a stand and make a difference, you know, as you know, men out there, and you, you're in a company, and you're like, we don't have enough women. What can we do to appeal to women? Start taking a look at that, that, those kinds of things, and raise those as points to be addressed in the company. Make it a welcoming environment before the women get get there. You know, because if you attract women in, and then they come in, and then they find it's not truly a welcoming environment, they're going to leave. They're going to tell everyone else about it, and no one's going to want to go to work there. You know how many companies in Waterloo have such a bad rap that people are actually like, it's, it's kind of a, a community thing where people just know not to even try to go there because they know it's going to be a bad time. Sorry, that's, uh, that's my two cents. Oh, I was just going to say a lot of companies in San Francisco do these, uh, quote, unlimited vacation policies, um, 
which sounds nice in theory, but what it boils down to is a huge amount of manager discretion in who's getting to take vacation and how much. And I think there's um, a lot of kind of bias and distortion with that. Um, so I, yeah, I think standardizing things is good to make sure with salaries, with vacation, hours working, to not kind of leave it up to manager discretion because you do introduce a lot of bias that way. And that just is means treating everybody like a human. Yeah. And also in those companies, a lot of times they don't have a culture where vacation's okay. So sure, we have unlimited exactly. vacation, but um, a lot of them got undone because people just didn't take vacation. Yeah. And really the point is they don't want to have to pay you out when you quit for unused vacation in many cases. Well, if it's unlimited though, do they even pay you out? <laughs> They I guess they don't, if that's what you're a certain saying. Amount anyway. Wendy, Rachel, and Laura, you, you both have talked about the importance of, of the, I mean, you all mentioned, touched on a relational aspect about it. Um, and I think as men, we have to kind of, you know, one of, one of the things that we can do is to make sure that we are kind of starting to extend that bridge out to female coworkers. More importantly, perhaps, is us calling out fellow male employees and especially leaders who either show or de deny that a bias exists. But we, I think the ask that we have to you then is to make sure that, you know, that you are finding that mama bear or papa bear to use Wendy's kind of, uh, you know, language there to find someone who's going to be able to help get through that because if it's happening truly behind closed doors, then then we're not seeing it. And I have worked in more than one role where somebody left and said it's because of stuff that happened behind closed doors, and we didn't even have a chance to interact as a team or to interject as a team. So maybe that's something that we can all work on at Proving. I think this is something that happens in all industries. That technology is not different here. I think one of the differences is when you're a developer you're groomed to just be a great problem solver and you, you get a lot of skills. And I think you have more options than a lot of other, like, um, like my sister is a teacher. She can be a teacher. She can't be a teacher, but I can do pretty much anything based on what I've learned in my career. And so I think part of the reason why so many women drop off is just because they can. Yeah. There's actually a statistic that the, the women that leave tech are um, on average, even more highly educated than the women that stay. Like if you have a graduate degree, you're even more likely to leave. And I think it comes back to that having options. Okay, well, we are right at our time limit here, and I really want to thank uh, Rachel for joining the call and Wendy and Lori for putting up with our incessant trying to solve this problem, even though we're, we're kind of ill-equipped to do so. This is uh, just a, a really engaging conversation, and I really want to you know, make sure we keep it on beyond the scope of this uh, podcast. But uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining and for listening in, and have a wonderful week. Yeah, thank you. Bye, Bye night, everyone. Thank you, guys.